0: I consider myself lucky. I grew up in a town that had multiple movie theaters that I could walk to. It could be a far walk, but I could still get there. They were multiplexes. A 6 and an 8. So 14 theaters showing movies all the time. When a big motion picture came to town, there really wasn't an excuse for me not to see it. That's why it's so weird that in October of 1988, I did not see Alien Nation. I had a friend who saw it with his father and they really liked it and would tell me about how wonderful it was but October went into November and I still hadn't seen it. I was a little sad when the film left our theaters because I really wanted to see it on the big screen. So I needed to find a way to go see this movie in a theater that was a couple of towns over. It was a smaller theater, often showed films that were a little older. Sometimes I could count on my sisters to take me, but they were busy with life and it wasn't always easy to get them to sit with me in a theater for a movie they didn't want to see and dropping me off was even more trouble for them because they'd have to go and then come back. Now I had some friends who had older siblings and I thought, well, maybe one of them could give me a ride. So when I was over playing D&D at a friend's house, I asked his older brother, who also played with us, if he had seen Alien Nation and if he would be interested in driving me to the theater. He said he had seen it and that he had very little interest in seeing it again. I said, well, what if I gave you a couple bucks to drive us there? That was enough. Money talks. So the next day, I went over to his house, and me and my friend who played D&D got a ride with him to this second-run movie house. He dropped us off and said, I'll be back in two hours to pick you up. We watched the film. I really enjoyed it. We come out. We have some time to kill. He didn't show up yet. We're waiting two hours. Nothing. We sit there and wait another 20 minutes, a half hour, nothing. So we think we should call. We find a payphone, and we call my friend's house. Nobody answered. Now we're starting to get worried. Where is this guy? Another half hour passes. Still hasn't shown up. This was 1988. Times weren't all that different. We probably should have known better, but I guess we looked worried enough that an older fella came over to us at the front of the movies and said, Hey, what's wrong, boys? You seem upset. And we're like, well, we're supposed to get our ride. We need to get home. He said, where do you live? And we told him. He said, well, I can give you a ride. And I think back to this moment, and I almost want to yell... What are you thinking? Don't take a ride from this guy. He's a stranger. But my friend said, sure. And I thought, oh, if he thinks it's okay, so do I. He said, I'm just down here. Come on. So we're walking toward his car. It was a Lincoln Continental, I think, real big. And we're almost at the door when his brother showed up to pick us up. We thanked the guy, jumped in the car. We're driving home. His brother said, I'm sorry I'm late. And then said, what were you guys doing with that other guy? And we said, we're going to get a ride home from him. The entire ride home, his brother yelled at us, just laid into us, never do that, what were you thinking? And he was right, we had not thought this through, we didn't know this guy, maybe he was fine, but we didn't know. And we maybe dodged a bullet by getting this ride. Because of this misadventure, or almost terrible adventure, I will always remember Alien Nation, because I associate it with Stranger Danger, I think the experience made me a little bit more cynical, or well, certainly a bit more frightened, and has probably served me well. So I'd like to thank my friend's brother, maybe thank that nice person who was going to give us a ride home, because you just don't know. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about Alien Nation, the movie. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera, we'll talk about its reception, its plot, its release on home video, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Alien Nation is a science fiction film released in 1988. It was written by Rockne S. O'Bannon and directed by Graham Baker. It stars James Caan, Mandy Patinkin, and Terrence Stamp. It would spawn a TV show and TV movies and was pretty well received at the time. But let's start by talking about the plot. I have the home video version of this, trying to get people to enjoy physical media more. So let's read what the plot says on this. CBS Fox video release. It's got James Caan on the back, looking at the barcode, it seems, and it has the headline, They have come to Earth to live among us, but there's something about them we don't know. Be prepared. Drugs, violence, crime. The headlines of the near future are a lot like today's, with one big difference. In LA alone, there are 300,000 humanoid extraterrestrials, newcomers, or less politely, slags, Refugees from a disabled slave ship. They've stayed to live and work among us to try to fit in. But there's something about them we don't know. James Kahn is Sykes, a veteran police detective out to avenge the death of his partner who was killed in a shootout with a gang of newcomers. Mandy Patinkin is Sam Francisco, Sykes' new partner and the force's first newcomer plainclothesman. Together they uncover a trail of murder leading to the most terrifying drug epidemic ever to hit planet Earth. A mixture of police action, science fiction, and imaginative humor. Alien Nation is, as People Magazine put it, pulse-pounding fun. 90 Minutes Color, 1988. Rated R. So, it's a nice-looking box for a good movie. I don't want to go too much more into the plot. Part of the joy of seeing this film is not knowing exactly what you're about to see. And it's the little quirks of the film. The interactions with the newcomers and them adjusting to humans and humans adjusting to them that makes the film a lot of fun. So the biggest star in the film at this point was James Kahn, who played Matthew Sykes. James Edmund Kahn passed away in 2022, was an actor probably best known for playing Sonny Corleone in The Godfather in 1972. That would earn him a Academy Award and Golden Globe nomination. He would reprise the role in The Godfather 2, but he worked on lots of other films like Misery. Thief, Honeymoon in Vegas, Eraser, Rollerball, Elf, lots of great films. If you want a good cry that has James Conn in it, he played Brian Piccolo in Brian's Song, the 1971 television movie. He would receive a Primetime Emmy Award for that one, and he earned it. He would take a break from acting in the 80s, and one of the earlier films he did when he came back was Alienation, After Gardens of Stone. He would follow it up with probably the more well-known Misery in 1990 in a 2013 interview, he was asked about the movie and he seemed surprised. He said, why would you bring that up? Then he thought about it and said, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't have too many. I mean, I loved Mandy Patinkin. Mandy was a riot, but I don't know. It was a lot of silly stuff creatively. And we had this English director who I wasn't really that fond of. I mean, nice guy, but it was just one of those things where, you know, you don't quit. You get through it. It certainly wasn't one of I wouldn't write it down as one of my favorite movies, but it was pretty popular. It's maybe the most James Caan answers I've ever heard. Mandy Patinkin would play Sam Francisco, who would also be called George in the film because the James Caan character just could not take calling him Sam Francisco. Mandy Patinkin was born in 1952. He's a actor, singer, very well known for his work in musical theater, but he's done film and television, multi-award winner and nominee. Started working on the stage in the 70s. Then he would start getting roles in TV and film. On TV, he was on Homeland and Chicago Hope. In movies, he was in things like The Princess Bride, Yentl, Dick Tracy, Ragtime, and of course, The Wonderful Alien Nation. Terence Stamp is the third big actor in this film, playing the villain William Harcourt. Terrence Henry Stamp, born in 1938. He has won and been nominated for multiple awards. The Guardian called him the master of brooding silence. And it is true. He's really good at playing villains. If you've seen the Superman motion pictures, you are probably aware that the best villain in all of them was General Zod in the original run. And that was Terrence Stamp playing the role so perfectly. While he's not physically imposing, his attitude and arrogance is just amazing. And he continues to work in films. While those are the big roles in the film... There is a much bigger cast. You had Leslie Beavis as Cassandra, Kevin Major Howard as Rudyard Kipling, George Janeski as Quint, Frank McCarthy as Captain Robert Warner, and many more. Look around you on the streets of America and prepare yourself for a whole new world. Get the ass, oh, well, your mother mates out of season. Their numbers are growing. Welcome back, Ozzy and Arias. And they're here to stay. Oh. Alien Nation Rated R. Now playing at theaters everywhere. The movie was written by Rockney S. O'Bannon. Each week, 20th Century Fox would get a bunch of films. And one of them that producer Gail Ann Hurd got in 1988 was this one by O'Bannon. It had been submitted to other film studios. Hurd and development director Ellen Collett really liked the script and wanted to do this film. They liked the science fiction part of it but they really liked how it was taking very modern issues and problems and using the aliens as stand-ins. They would secure funding from Fox and began casting and began looking for creatives to work on the film. And it would require quite a lot of creatives because not only do you have to shoot like a normal film, but you have to represent an entire alien society, an alien nation, if you will. Rockne S. O'Bannon is a writer and producer He is known mostly for his work in science fiction, working on things like Sequest, Farscape, Defiance, and Alien Nation. He made his writing debut back in the early 80s, working on Amazing Stories and CBS's The Twilight Zone, 1985. But the thing that brought him to a different level was Alien Nation in 1988. Then he would have a much longer-running show, The... Original series Sequest DSV in 1993, which not a lot of people talk about nowadays. Then he would work on Farscape on the Sci Fi channel. Since then, he has continued to work as both a writer and as a producer, working on things like Warehouse 13, Revolution, V, and Evil. Multiple award winner and overall a very creative person. I was really sad. When The Twilight Zone 1985 got cancelled, I thought it was a great show and really enjoyed it. But I guess if they hadn't cancelled it, probably O'Bannon would not have worked on Alien Nation. So, not a bad trade-off. The film was directed by English film director Graham Baker. You know he's English because James Caan said he was English. He worked on a bunch of Hollywood features in the 80s and 90s, but probably his biggest one was Alien Nation in 88. On the small screen... He was known for directing television commercials, most notably the Joe Isuzu commercials of the 80s. If you're not familiar, let's listen to one of those. Hi, want to save two million dollars? It's easy. Just buy 1,000 Isuzu troopers at $13.5 and, and generous factory cash can help you save $2 million. Of course, you could buy just one and save up to 2000 but remember, the more you buy, the more you could save. So think big. Buy a million troopers and save $2 billion. You have my word on it. Now, Isuzu's sailing to the 90s factory cash could save you up to $2,000 on a trooper. The film looks great, so I'm going to talk to you about the cinematographer. I also like the story of the cinematographer and how he was hired. It's Adam Greenberg. He's a retired, now cinematographer, worked on films with James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Catherine Bigelow, Ivan Reitman, would get nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. He would be contacted by the studio while in Israel to work on the production, and this surprised him. He said was vacationing on the Dead Sea in a kibbutz. It was 125 degrees, and I got a call from Gale. That was the last thing to expect there. He wanted to do the film with a documentary-style technique, but because of the makeup, they had to do special lighting. They also wanted to film a lot at night. So they did some testing, and he learned quickly that because the aliens and their makeup were so different than humans, and they might look proportionally the same, that The wrong lighting or a bad camera angle would show the seams in the makeup. So he had to learn a lot on where to hang the lights, where to position the camera to make the film look good. And it does, especially a lot of the night shots. It has that great L.A. at night look. Gritty, kind of shiny, scary. It's really well done. When he was talking about the interactions between James Caan and Mandy Potemkin in cars while they were driving, he said, We used a lot of car mounts. I would light the alien so that he looked good. But if he passed into a shadow while going down the street, you could see all the seams in his makeup. So I sometimes had to block all the streets with black paper. So you can imagine the constant difficulty of the work. And that's why I think he deserves a mention in talking about this film. Because there's a lot of makeup. And that makes the film sort of a throwback. Because... There's quite a lot of extras in the film. The newcomers have their own neighborhoods that they're put into. There are clubs where there's lots of them. So you can imagine just the, I would almost say chaos. You'd have human actors and then people playing newcomers in all of these scenes. And they all had to look good and not be distracting. And they would really flesh out the newcomers. They would have to come out not just with the spoken language, but the written language, which they would use to put graffiti on the walls. And they decided on a very flowing language that looked like a heartbeat graph. While it might look like a simple idea when you see it up on the screen or even hear about it, it's quite a leap to make. And it takes smart people working on the film for a while to figure that out. The original name for the film was going to be Future Tense. According to what I read online, an earlier draft of the film was written by James Cameron in 87. But his name was taken off of it, and he's not credited in the film. And I think people were hooked on the idea because they could look at other projects that had been out there that weren't just science fiction, but something like the TV series and movie Heat of the Night, and then say, well, it's Heat of the Night with aliens. Great way to sell anything in Hollywood. And that's why, while it seems like a science fiction film, it's more... Of a cop drama, something some people would criticize, but I liked, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. One of the quirkier things I like about reading about the early iterations of the film is that San Francisco's character was originally named George Jetson, and Mandy Patinkin had signed up for the role when it was still George Jetson. But Hanna Barbera, who owned the rights to George Jetson, decided just a couple of days before shooting that they didn't want them using the name George Jetson, and Patinkin was. Very disappointed. He saw it as central to the character to be George Jetson. He said, I assumed that the name of the character I agreed to play was George Jetson. I thought it would make a tremendous difference to the piece that the guy's name was George Jetson because it gave a cartoon feeling, an innocence that was important to the movie's whole idea. It's a great loss to the piece that we couldn't recover, a great misfortune that couldn't be solved. It would have helped a lot. They would leave the name George in the film and write it in that Sykes didn't want to call him San Francisco, and thought George is a better name. So he still was George, and I understand all the labels on the set still said George, but his name was San Francisco. I agree that George Jetson is funnier. And now that I've said this, I should probably tell you the reason the characters' names are things like Sam Francisco or George Jetson and many other jokey names is that when the aliens came down the immigration officers just started making up names for them. And so they were picking names from pop culture and throwing them on them. The makeup on the film was done by Stan Winston Studios, very famous makeup studio, although Stan Winston didn't work on the film. Other artists who worked there, like Alec Gillis, Tom Woodruff, Shannon Shea, Shane Mahan, and John Rosengrant would work on it. And they did a nice job because the challenge would be how do you make something look alien enough but not look like someone wearing a rubber mask? They wisely, for budgetary reasons and probably realism reasons, decided to make the aliens fairly human like, which made the plot more interesting in that they're so similar to us and yet there are differences that externally we as watchers don't necessarily see. And yet the whole film is riddled with drama because of the differences. As I mentioned in my Something Wicked This Way Comes podcast. Occasionally, a film will get a soundtrack, and then it will get redone. In this case, the original soundtrack was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, no slouch when making music for film, but ultimately his work was rejected in favor of Kurt Sobel. If you want to hear some of Goldsmith's work, you could hear it online, but they also would use the music in the theatrical trailer. Weirdly, the audio soundtrack that Sobel made was never officially released, but the Goldsmith one was put out in a limited edition release in 2005. Kurt Sobel, born in 1953, he's an Emmy-winning composer and editor. Movies that he worked on include Alienation, The Flamingo Kid, Body Count, and Defenseless. The Rejected was one Jerry Goldsmith, who passed away in 2004, a composer and conductor. He would make scores for five. Of the Star Trek films, the Rambo films, Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, Chinatown, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Hoosiers, Total Recall, L.A. Confidential, The Mummy, the list goes on and on. He was prolific and very well respected. He would be nominated for six Grammy Awards, five Emmy Awards, nine Golden Globes, four British Academy Film Awards, and 18 Academy Awards, winning one for The Omen in 1976. Can you imagine getting a score from him and thinking, Nah, thanks Jerry Goldsmith, we're good. It's mind-blowing. Are you a fan of the Retroist podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retroist Patreon? Go to patreon.com Retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. The film premiered on October 7th, 1988, and... It would open in first place its opening week. It's during its first weekend, it beat out the accused and punchline for first place. While it did well its first weekend, it dropped the second week. Domestically it would make twenty five point two million dollars with a five week theatrical run. It would make six point nine more overseas for a combined total of thirty two point one million dollars. The expectations, I believe, were much higher for the film, so it wasn't considered a massive success. So I printed out what else was playing at the time in my area. So let's look at the six plex in my town. You had Clara's Heart, Crossing Delancey, Dead Ringers, Punchline, Gorillas in the Mist, and Die Hard. At the eight plex, you had A Fish Called Wanda, Heartbreak Hotel, Sweetheart's Dance, Imagine, Memories of Me, Married to the Mob, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and Alien Nation. So, pretty good lineup. I saw a bunch of these films at the time. So, let's look at some of the ads here. You had a giant ad for Memories of Me with Billy Crystal, Alan King, and Joe Beth Williams. A film I still haven't seen. A really big one for Punchline. I've only seen that once. That's that Sally Fields and Tom Hanks film. And then, there's kind of a tie between Imagine, Elvira, and Alien Nation. Uh, kind of small for A Fish Called Wanda. Tiny ad. Hmm. At the Alien Nation, it's a nice ad. There's no blurbs, because it's brand new. It says, Los Angeles, 1991. They've come to Earth to live among us. They've learned the language, taken jobs, and try to fit in. But there's something about them we don't know. What is it? What could it be? At the theater, I would go to see this ad. They were showing Who Framed Roger Rabbit and A Fish Called Wanda. Hmm. They were also showing a film called Mr. North. So let's check in with Lou Luminick, my local critic. What did he have to say? He gave Alien Nation two and a half stars. He says, it's a fast-moving 89 minutes. And I agree, it does move very quickly. He gives accolades to both Khan and Padinkin. He says that Stamp makes a very stylish villain. And he sums it up by saying, Alien Nation is a B-movie of above-average interest. I don't think that's that bad. So good on Lou on that one. As I've mentioned Lou Luminick is online on Twitter, still doing stuff online. You can follow him on Twitter. He's Trapped by Television, and his handle is at Lou Lumenick. That's L-O-U-L-U-M-E-N-I-C-K. And the bio under his Twitter handle is, Everything you wanted to know about the twisted history of theatrical movies on TV between, mostly, 1939 and 1984, and so much more. Happy to answer your questions. And he does post a lot of great stuff there, so check him out. Looking at other reviewers, it's a mixed bag. Some people really liked it, others didn't. Roger Ebert said that it lacked science fiction themes and was more a police murder revenge flick. His quote was, They've just taken the standard cop-buddy drug lord routine and changed some of the makeup. The newcomers have no surprises. I disagree on that front. There's some fun humor, but I think the point is supposed to be that the aliens are very much like us. There's not a tremendous number of differences, and that's why it's so weird that people have such an attitude about them. If they were very different, people would say, oh, they're so different. I think that he's missing the point. But people generally praised Khan and Patinkin. Some people talked about how good the makeup was. Siskel, who looked at Ebert's review and said, yeah, they're very similar to other cop movies, but he said he found the film genuinely entertaining version of that old Reliable Cop buddy picture with two very different detectives. The aliens have landed, and there's something about them we don't know. No! Now the trouble is about to begin. <clears throat> My partner is dead. Alienation, coming to Video videocassette. The film would win a Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, and two nominations, one for Best Supporting Actor, and for Best Makeup. In 1989, so not very long after the film was released, it was put out on CBS Fox video on VHS and then would get a re-release in 1996. Then in 2001, a DVD would get released on the film that has a nice featurette, some behind-the-scenes clips, including Graham Baker. Weirdly, despite this film's cult status, it hasn't been released on Blu-ray in the United States yet. So if you want to see it in HD, you're going to have to stream it or get a different region, Blu-ray. The film would also become a TV show, and normally I would talk a bit more about that, but because there's a lot going on in the TV show, I've decided I'm going to do a second part to this podcast all about the Alien Nation TV show. That will be the next episode that gets released, and it has a top five list from Metagirl, so be prepared for that if you want to hear more about the TV show. That will also include information about the TV movies that they made. They did do some merchandise for the film, including a novelization by Alan Dean Foster that was released in 1989, which was an adaptation of the film. There would be a series of books that would be more of a takeoff from the TV show. Alan Dean Foster, if you're a fan of novelizations, you'll know he is no lightweight in that genre. Born in 1946, he has written several book series, over 20 novels, and many, many novelizations of films. Especially ones of the big sci-fi worlds. He's done Alien, Star Wars, Star Trek, Transformers, The Terminators, Clash of the Titans, The Thing, The Black Hole, Krull, and many more. Back in the 80s, I would always be looking for Alan Dean Foster's name. And I picked up a lot of these novelizations. They're fun to read and often have details that aren't in the movie if you are into novelizations. There's been a sort of renaissance in discussing them and a few podcasts out there. So just search for novelization podcasts if you're interested in that genre. It's worth checking out. DC would do a comic one-shot in December of 88. Malibu Comics would do more comics, but those are about the TV show. Now, while some people didn't like the buddy cop aspect of Alien Nation, they didn't want to see a procedural with aliens in it. It was my favorite part of the film. We get to see Earth problems, problems that we have, but in other people. And in the long run, it shows that how humans themselves, despite any differences they might have, can attack problems together. And that they're not all that different and can get closer together. The procedural aspect of the film allows us to instantly know what we're getting. And there's a comfort in that that plays really well with this Idea of people who don't get along because we know about how buddy cop films work. We also know that inevitably they're going to see past all their problems and bond in a way that brings them very close together in a satisfying way that makes the film very satisfying to watch. So if you have some time, check out Alien Nation. It's a great film. It's a lot of fun and the concept is great and would lead to a great TV show. So Prepare yourself for the TV show by watching the film first, and you won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at Retroist.com. If you want to follow me online, I'm at Twitter and now Mastodon, trying that out. I'm at Twitter.com slash Retroist and Retroist at Mastodon.social. Thanks to Peachy for all the music you hear on the show. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by dropping by Patreon.com slash Retroist. For just a few bucks a month, you support the show, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. (laughs) Drugs. Violence. Crime. Whoops. That is how... Sleeves on videotapes work. Drugs. (laughs) This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.